Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm going to be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right. Don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple podcast as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London Is Blue podcast, your home for all things Chelsea FC. Nick, Dan, and myself cover all the match reviews from the latest Chelsea matches. We cover the team news and even throw you some exclusive interviews. Thank you already for being an awesome listener. And you know what? Let's jump right in. Welcome back, Wildlings of Westeros slash Chelsea fans to another episode, crossover episode of the London is Blue podcast. If you don't like Game of Thrones or you haven't watched any of this season, just move past this episode already because this is our midway point recap. If you're not aware and you do like Game of Thrones and you're caught up in the season and you've just started listening, the highlights are... We, which is everybody except Brandon, so Nick and Mike, who are on the show right now as well, decided that we were going to talk a little Game of Thrones, we're going to have a little fantasy draft with the players, and we were just going to have some fun doing a little bit of a send-off to the show this season, Nick. Yeah, we did, we love the show, and like we realize that this, these types of episodes are not everyone's favorite thing, so again, you know, we have received your tweets, we understand that you don't like it. Tune back in on Sunday when we get back to our regularly scheduled programming or Monday morning whenever you kind of upload your podcast. But uh, yeah, we just, we love the show, Mike. We want to pay a little tribute to it. And final thing before I pass the ball to you, how have we not called it Southwestero 6 yet? <laughs> how have we not figured that out? Well played. Well played. Well, you know, it, my favorite aspect of this is that, you know, in saying goodbye, the stakes are already so high. And yet by having our own fantasy teams, it just makes it, all the more um, just kind of biting your nails, uh, 
you know, just praying that you don't get clobbered in both Winterfell and by the two of you fools. So um, it's just the best way I could say goodbye to a probably the best series that's been on TV. And and as Dan has said before, there are spoilers. So if you have not made it all the way through, stop listening now or don't send us your angry tweets. You know, we, you know, we won't spoil. We will not spoil Endgame. There are no Avengers no. Endgame spoilers here either because we need to preface that because Mike hasn't watched it yet. So Nick and I had to have our own text thread, not yeah. the group text thread this weekend, to talk about that. But we did have our text thread where we've removed Brandon, where we uh, we talk about Game of Thrones. So we're going to do that now. We're going to talk a little bit structurally. We're going to talk a little bit about the first three episodes, just maybe some thoughts since we last spoke about it, which was before the season really kicked off. Then we're going to talk about where we are in the Fantasy League, which there have been some movements. Yes. There have maybe some surprises. There may be some... None. <laughs> some murder. There, there may be some people who are upset <laughs> with where they're ranked currently. And we'll get some to that. Of us, some of us want to talk about the scoring system. Yeah, yeah, it's basically the Game of Thrones podcast equivalent of us complaining about officiating. Nobody fucking wants it, Nick. So just stop talking about it now. And then we'll go through a little player ratings for the seasons. Who we think is gonna, you know, who we think is kind of owning the season just outside of our fantasy game, and then what we think or what we hope happens over the next couple episodes. So let's dig in and let's start talking about the first three episodes. I know you kind of put it in a little bullet point list here, Nick, of some, some highlight moments that you want to make sure we don't forget. Right. So, I mean, if you rewind your brain all the way back to episode, you know, season eight, episode one, um, this was, you know, kind of the, you know, the crew getting back together. Um, a lot of things happened in this episode. Obviously, Danny and John arrive with their huge ass army, um, you know, Arya and John see each other for the first time, which was incredibly heartwarming. Um, that was it was a great moment. And then Mike John, um, if not a little aloof, rides a dragon for the first time, um, not knowing his not knowing his uh, his actual parentage and that he's a Targaryen. Yeah, you know, he kind of it flies in the face of all the all of the legend or, you know, lore of Westeros that only Targaryens can ride dragons and, you know, he decides to hop on the back of one and, you know, he rode another dragon recently before that. So, um <laughs> shit <Jeez>. stuff. <laughs> yeah, incest wow. points for you guys. Except that Drogon, my boy stepped up. So, you know, kudos to the the real MVP for staring them down before they went at it. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. So the, the dragon riding was fun. That was cool. Obviously there's a lot of money invested in those CGI slash par- partially practical dragons. I think there's some practical prop making with them. I'm not sure. Uh, you would hope so to some effect. Um, all real. Yeah. All real. Yeah. Right. Um, they walk among us. So John's parentage is also revealed. That was a, a big thing. Cause obviously, uh, Bran Stark and uh, Samwell have decided to be co-conspirators in the quest to overthrow Daenerys Targaryen from claiming the Iron Throne, potentially at the end of this season, by making sure that they could draw tangible evidence and put it piece it all together, Nick, that Jon is not actually a Snow, he's not actually a, a true 100% Stark, he is actually a Targaryen by birth. Yeah, and it was a it was a touching kind of moment because he got the transition from Samuel Tarly learning that his his uh, father and brother were both burned by Daenerys, and 
and that was you know a really emotional scene and then that transitioned you know right to him seeing bran and bran you know in his monotone stoned out face saying now you have to be the one to tell him he trusts you the most and which is true and i I think when when they went through that kind of logic pattern mike that made sense to me that you know samuel's been there for john's best and worst moments and you know there's probably no better person to voice over the most crucial detail in the entire show's history than his most trusted friend you know john you're a king you've always been a king and uh it's it's super impactful. It is super powerful. And, and I think, you know, it, it's tough for Sam because it's the right thing to do and he could very well, you know, not do it. Uh, I think it's also a very interesting play from Bran in which what we see at this point is that he's impacting the storyline and the events as the Three-Eyed Raven, but he's not, he's pretty much unwilling to do anything directly himself. He kind of lets stuff happen from afar. So um, again, great, character development in both yeah yeah so so the next one on here that you have i'm i'm not gonna go to that one just yet because i think you missed the key moment in episode one which was bran waiting outside at the end of the episode (laughs) for jamie lannister (laughs) to stroll up of course he teases it earlier in the episode letting people know i'm waiting for a friend i'm waiting for someone and then all of a sudden you get the because this whole episode, the whole first episode was juxtaposed, right? Like the, the march in was very similar to the Baratheon uh, march in at the beginning of the first season when they went to Winterfell to get Ned Stark to bring him down to King's Landing as the King of the Hand. This was very much the Jon Snow comes in with his full army. So it's something that apparently the people of Winterfell are very used to with these massive processions in. And now you have Jamie Lannister who had wrote in almost exactly the same in the first episode, writing in in a very different manner, in a very different way, uh, not looking nearly as golden uh, speckled in his hair. Obviously, the time has not been kind to him. And at the moment he gets off that horse, the moment he takes his hood off, the moment he turns around, Brand Stark, baby, bam, I got you. <laughs> uh, the, the best piece of content and like, if if you're if you're an avid watcher like we are, I think I could say this for everyone. The best part about this show being such a cultural moment is just the insane amount of creative content that comes out on yes. Twitter and Instagram after the show is over. And absolutely, one of my favorite pieces of content was when they showed that scene of Brand or uh, Jamie realizing that was Brand the kid he pushed out of the window. Uh, all that time ago, and then the uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm <laughs> music playing over top. Oh. oh my god, it destroyed me. I just thought it was so funny uh, and such a such a good piece of content. Because, I mean, it is kind of like the, oh, a done fucked up moment, you know? <laughs> like, this is gonna get real weird. Did you guys see the, um, s- the people who cut in the scene from uh, Scary Movie uh, as the standoff between Bran and Jamie? And, and it's the guy in the wheelchair and the guy with the tiny hands and it's the back and forth. And he's like, how about you give me a hand? He's like, how about a standing ovation? You know? And so it's, it's one of my favorite moments. So much creativity out of the internet. But what we're missing is the most important part of episode one is John being snuck up to at the Weirwood tree by a one Arya Stark who just poof appears out of nowhere. So, you know, which actually to bigger things. Yeah, I was about to say that moment actually, now that you mention it, foreshadowed a lot uh, in, in later parts of the episode. 
Um, you know, to take the John parentage reveal, Dan, and, and merge that into episode two, you know, one of the most pointed moments of that episode was John deciding to tell Danny about, you know, what he had learned and, and who he had learned it from. And there was just, there was a really interesting moment, I think, between, you know, the, the juxtaposition of him feeling like everything he's ever known has been a lie and that he's a whole different person with a whole different, you know, I think level to him, you know, prestige than, you know, most people don't know about. And then her thinking about how this impacts her entire life's work. Yeah. And it, like many things, when you tell someone news or give them something that they don't necessarily believe or you don't have a complete book of truth to show them. Uh, there's no Ancestry.com DNA tests he was able to show in revealing this information. It was, oh, hey, my buddy from the Citadel who went there on my orders, who's one of my best friends, oh, and mm-hmm. my younger brother, who now apparently has magical powers, they say I'm actually supposed to be the king. It, it does not go over well. And there ends up being a lot of uh, tension, uh, not the tension that we're used to between John and Daenerys, Mike, but there is tension between the two that that entire episode. And yeah, I think they did a very nice job of, of building into this because obviously massive reveal. But uh, yeah, I, I, what did you think? I, I love it. You know, classic movie techniques, you know, her and white, him and dark, the contrast, you know, he's told John doesn't want to be king. You know what I mean? He doesn't want the throne. All he really cares about is protecting his people and the woman he loves, right? And then to see uh, Daenerys just turn and be focused on on the throne, I think again something that played off in that uh, in that episode is that you know when Sansa and um, Daenerys are are playing nice, you know the world is ending. They have the the army of death. You know they're facing total annihilation, and they're thinking about what's going to happen. You know, if we survive and if we can, you know, get down to, you know, to the south and if we can beat Cersei. So really interesting levels of where players' minds are and and what their priorities are. And and that's exactly what Bran told Jamie, right? You know, it's like Bran or Jamie was all worried about like, you know, when when he was on trial and and survived his trial, thanks to Brienne of Tarth, which we will get into in a second. um, He was, you know, worried that Bran was going to tell the whole courtroom essentially that he was the responsible party for his paralysis, right? He had pushed him out of the window and he, he asked Bran very pointedly, Dan, what about afterwards? And Bran said, how do you know there's an afterwards? (laughs) Like this could be it, son. Like this could be it. And he dropped the, the things we do for love in the courtroom scene, so to speak. And just again, Bran has, uh, you know, received some shade this season, but has also had, you know, again, peaks and valleys with Bran, right? He's not all perfect, yeah. but when he's on, really high note. Hits a really well, high and, note. As our resident green seer and uh, the one who's a bit able to see the future, he should know, right? Like, I mean, isn't that part of his powers that, or is it just limited to that he gets snippets? I don't know. I think Bran is a complicated character. Uh, I think any time when you can see the future and the past, it makes it very difficult as to how you're supposed to interact with with the other characters. That makes and, sense. And I, I think the you know we're we're in episode two, kind of chronologically, but the Jamie Brian. I mean, it was a Jamie Brian episode, right? I mean, she obviously defended him in the 
in the trial situation, and then he has to be a part of her flank for the the battle battle at Winterfell, and then you know I think I don't know if this is everyone's favorite scene, at least it was my favorite scene. Getting all you know some of our our secondary characters, so not your Johns, not your Dannys, not your Sansas, but getting your Tyrions, getting your Davos, getting Tormund, Mike's yeah. boy, to have his big his biggest moments, uh, <laughs> just. And, and Brienne and, and Pod just in a room, you know, doing, I think, what people do before they're faced with a big moment, which is, you know, let's have a couple of drinks. Let's try and calm down the most that we can and let's share some stories. And that, that to me, Mike, has been where this show has always been at its best because they're such good storytellers and the, the human connection really shown through there. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, when you're looking at it, it's a room full of some of the toughest badasses there are that have survived countless battles. And, you know, they're kind of all in there and they're all, they're all afraid. They're all terrified, but they're, you know, reaching out to each other to, um, you know, find something to, to push on with. And I, I think, you know, you see that tension and Tyrion's line of like, you know, what if we survive? You know what I mean? It's so great. Yeah. And oh, I, I love that. I love that. I love that Tyrion, the guy who thought Daenerys was going to kill him minutes ago, <laughs> you know, because he had screwed up so many things and yeah. was just taking L's left and right, was was the guy, Dan, in the room that was going, you know what? I think we might win this. <laughs> it just, yeah. the juxtaposition there was so good. And I think it made this, you know, the rest of, I'll let Mike go on the Tormund line, but. Dan, what did you think about Tyrion's drunken performance during this? Oh, it was great. I mean, you know, you also had uh, Pod with a highlight moment of dropping yes. some serious <laughs> skills, and I you know, like how they had the after the you know after the safe around for after the credits to learn more, and they're like, oh yeah, we had that in our back pocket. We've been waiting for him to drop a little singing on the show, and they pulled that off at the exact right moment. And yeah, I, I mean, look, Game of Thrones is known for. The nudity, the sex, the blood, the gore, the dragons, the White Walkers. But this was an episode that was all about the characters, their relationships, the character development. And might be, out out of many episodes that we've had, Mike, one of my favorite that we've seen for the entire series. I I think by far probably some of the strongest writing. Um, and, And little things like, you know... Brienne trying to keep Podrick from drinking and then you see the the pour oh, that, that so Tyrion good. puts in and the wink. Like these are those moments in which like you can tell it, it to me it, it was almost a farewell too, because it, it truly was a farewell. But you know, I wonder at what point the scene was shot because it feels to me them sitting around like at the end of all the episodes and kind of it was a, a little bit maybe saying goodbyes. And I think, you know, you know, of course, Tormund is hysterical. You know, we're crying with some of the stuff he pulls. And it's, what Tormund, I love, by the way, really quick, to, uh, not to derail you, but <laughs> no, Tormund, Tormund is your. You know, everyone has a group of friends, and in that group yeah. of friends, there's there's that one friend who's just always making up shit. Like there's like he's just like yeah no I definitely rode a dragon last night. And you're like okay dude like here's another one of your thousand lies. Like Tormund is the guy who is just talking a bunch of shit all this all the time and his dragon or his uh his giant smoke story mike i know that had you rolling uh it's one of those moments in which i never thought that chugging a beer could make 
everyone feel so <laughs> uncomfortable. And, and even just Davos having to get that drink, like he is unsettled. You know, the you know Davos. I mean, it's amazing. And to me, what I really, what I think is amazing about the writing in that is that you know you mentioned that this was all about Brienne and Jamie, right? But the complexity of this is that you know Jamie is the person that Brienne's parents want her to bring home, but Tormund is the man that will love her the way that she needs you know what i mean so it's you, you you just don't know which way she goes and i think she has she has this weird affection for both of them and you know it man it, well it, it leads it leads into the i think the most powerful moment um of of maybe this season and and that's saying something which is you know she she reve- you know uh, torment says it, or is shocked that she's not officially a knight, Dan. And so it gets into the whole, well, tradition says that women can't be knights. And then, you know, Jamie basically, you know, pulls the, pulls the trump card on everyone and said, you don't have to be a king to make a knight. Any knight can make a knight. And, you know, one of my favorite little parts of this whole series is when, yeah, she looks at Pod and Pod gives her, not not like the nod of approval because, you know, he doesn't, He's not a person who can really give her a nod of approval, but just like the, you've wanted this forever. Just fucking go, yeah. <laughs> you know, like that, that was such a cool moment. The the friendly shove, you know, yeah. sometimes when, you know, when people are at a party and you want to go talk to someone and maybe you don't have that. So like, you don't know if you should. And he just gives her, you know, gives her a little, eh, yeah, go, go take it. You, you've, you've earned this more than many of the people who we've seen on the show be called sir in, I, you know, I think it was just a a masterful moment uh, for you know a new uh, knight of the Seven Kingdoms. So I, okay, I think now we probably have to transition though to yep. let's do it the B O W the Battle of Winterfell, and yeah, I, I mean outside of the moments when everybody played with their contrast settings on their television or learned how great or slash shitty their TV is slash or was after they threw a remote through it, um, we had a chance to see some of the worst battle management by the combined for- tactical might of Jon Snow and his commanding officers. It was awful. It was so fucking bad. <laughs> Can I quickly say there? There are two things I want to say before we really dive into the battle, battle of Winterfell because it was there's just a lot happening and it was kind of disorienting at times because there's just so much. Uh, first thing is in episode two, one of the things that I regret about that episode is that we didn't spend more time in the battle plans, like so that people could try and poke holes in the fucking plan. Uh, you know, like that, and that would have directly led to Dan's point about the battle mismanagement. The second thing is that this thing was visually stunning to watch. Oh, God, I mean, yeah. it was unbelievable. And so before we poke too much uh, fun at the episode for, for some of its flaws, I just want to say that straight up. It was absolutely unbelievable to watch. Like the high and low tension moments and the you know the little things like the Arya library scene really made this come to life for me. So I just want to say that I loved the overall construct of the episode. But Dan, I will let you get back into blowing it up. Okay. Wait, can, well, can I ask one question? Have yes. You, have you guys seen it? Did you see it live that one time, or have you watched it again? That that's I watched what, it again. I watched it again as well, and and I highly suggest doing it because there's so much nuance that you miss, um, that you have to do it without the without the, you know, the anxiety of the initial watch. 
Yeah, that, that definitely is a lot it. of that. But uh, yeah, so so yes, I also enjoyed the episode. But okay, so we have our Dothraki. Where where was the scout effort? Right, where was like one or two scouts going forward into what we would call the enemy territory, just like giving a signal, like, oh hey, by the way, this is what the army looks like. We know it's dark out, and we can't explain it right now. But you know what? We're gonna send these Dothraki now with their magical fire swords. And we're going to hope that they do well. Yeah, the Dothraki in the open field got fucked. They got absolutely demolished. They and, did. They and, did. Unfairly. Unfairly, too. They are... Look, I'm not even telling you... I was talking with my buddy Matt today about this. Like, I'm not telling you they wouldn't have wanted to do this anyway. Like, they, that's kind of their whole aura, right? Is that they are just... They're unbelievably skilled warriors on horses. They can do things that no other warrior group and either Essos or Westeros can do. They're unbelievable fighters. But just to send them out like punks like that, ah, man, that hurt. That hurt. Especially as they got the uh as they got the fire swords and one of the most like visually stunning sequences I've ever seen in TV. It was so cool to watch, but it was like a minute after that, Dan, they're gone. <laughs> yeah, they got axed pretty quickly. And then Look, so they were preparing for battle. They realized we're going to have open battle situations. Those trenches were really nice. And yet we still had the Unsullied in front of most of these trenches. We didn't have multiple rows of trenches. Like we, And then we also, Mike, we only got like a couple of rounds of fire suppression from the dragons, which are your, I mean, that's your most valuable kind of opportunity to take out massive amounts of these whites in any situation and they're like oh you know what we're gonna go chase the winter snow we're gonna see what's going on maybe we'll find the night king instead of saying oh hey maybe should we should just you know scorch earth it real quick and try to protect the people who are doing all the grunt fighting i'm, I'm gonna jump in for mike really quick but I, I think the another overall thing i want to point out dan about the battle plan is that john seemed like the only one who wanted to stick to the fucking plan you know, the whole goal was to bring the Night King out of out of his kind of protection area and this storm that he creates every time he goes somewhere. And so, I think John was the one he he grabbed Danny as soon as Dothraki were kind of wiped out, which was almost instantaneous, and was like, "No, we we have to follow the plan." And she's like, "Nope, plan over." And it reminds me, Mike, of of that great Tyson phrase, which is. Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the in the mouth, you know. Like oh, this yeah. is so it went it went haywire quickly. But I I know that John gets a lot of flack over the last like season and a half for not being you know as good as like Rob Stark or any of the other like a Tywin Lannister in terms of like battle plans. But he did at least want to stick to the plan, and he yeah. just never got the chance to. Well, and I think you're seeing that development in the character, right? Uh, John knows a little bit about something about rushing into battle in front of Winterfell, right? It didn't, it didn't go well. He, you know, got bailed out by the Knights of the Vale as they were being crushed. But, you know... So, so is the hot take here and is the appropriate take actually that Jon Snow, not a good tactician? Not at all. Now, he wanted to stick to a plan. I think it was a bit of a shit plan. I mean, you know... Because when you think about it, they fly their dragons around, then they he lands it right by Bran. So he's not really waiting for, you know, or maybe I don't know where he landed, but he's right there at Winterfell. So I think, I don't know, overall, um, it, I think... No, but he, he did his job. He waited for the Night King to come out and show himself, and then went in hot pursuit. And if you think about that whole dragon battle, I mean, as disorienting and kind of like, 
yeah. mind-blowing as it was, you know, his contribution, Rhaegal's contribution of of distracting Viserion so he couldn't do any more damage and then for Drogon to just do the easy thing and like knock him off like was was the reason kind of that set up everything else in motion so like wow. I know John gets a bunch of shit for for kind of going at stuff alone sometimes but he did the right thing like he actually did the thing that he said he wanted to do and is not getting any fucking credit for it which I think is ridiculous I mean part of it you could have wheeled ran out into the middle of the field if you, you you know i mean we killed a whole lot of people just to try and lure the night king uh, out right? so so much like gonzalo higuain um oh. was competing oh, with okaku to be the most soft sides individual are you trying to compete with Jon snow to have the worst tactical plan is that what's happening mike because no. you're, you're getting your moment to be excited and to trounce on us later in the episode which i'm sure you're looking forward to uh but i just have to point out um Way to make a shittier plan shittier. Well done. Very yeah, proud of you. Yeah. You know, no, I, want, I, I want to shout out to the person who made every, like, who has time when you're trying to prepare a castle for an invasion to make as many tiny little markers for the White Walkers as they did? There were like 500 little pieces on that battle map. Did you, did you really need all those pieces to, you know, signify the strength of your opposition, right? You, yeah, you could have you just painted, you should have just put the words... A lot of them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're hey, these fuckers are going to be everywhere, guys. Yeah. You could have suggested a deeper moat. Or uh... can I can I can I quickly say too, just about the White Walker or the Whites specifically, not the White Walkers. The Whites are apparently all Spider Man now. They just climb walls with ease, like yeah. it's not a big deal. Like, did no one else get kind of weirded out by that? Because those are supposed to be like hundred foot walls at Winterfell. Like it's supposed to be one of like the most battle-proof castles that exist in in Westeros, and they were just like, "Nope, bup, bup, bup. Uh, uh, here I am." Uh, you know, a little I mean, World that, War that, Z. That's, that's a yeah, that's a zombie movie kind of like trope, right? You know, and there's enough of them. They just ultimately push forward. They're, it, they just you know are almost like an unstoppable force, and like you know, just to you know, they are death incarnate, right? Like you know, yeah. so I I'm not terribly bothered by it, but I could see being frustrated by it. What I'm really bothered by. Oh, and I think we need to talk about some of the people who lived, some of the people who died. Because there's some people I think <laughs> should definitely be dead. Like Grey Worm. Yes. How the fuck did Grey Worm survive that shit? Because oh. that man was in several positions that did not look great for him, and he lives. He better wait, well, have lived. Uh, wait, wait. I need to contest this. Okay. I see your Grey Worm, and I raise you one Sam. Grey Worm is a trained too. fighter. If anyone was going to survive... I don't think Sam killed a single person in that entire episode. All he oh, did he was did. roll he around. Definitely did. He made snow angels. Like he was just rolling around <laughs> and running away. And, and on top of it, he got his good friend angels. killed. Got his good friend Edison Tollett, you know? Commander yeah, of the Night Ed, Watch killed. Ed Ed took a bad one there. I I would also then raise you from Sam, even a more unlikely candidate to have survived, which is Jamie Lannister. Yeah. Jamie Lannister has one hand is not skilled with the one that he's using and is pushed against a wall yeah. by like a thousand whites. How does he make it out of that? With Brienne. Like, so, I mean, yeah. you know, you also could argue that both of them, you know, again, the plot armor, as it's referred to, has right. run, uh, has cast its spell across several characters who got yes. the benefit of the doubt versus <laughs> others who maybe did not get a, uh, you know, but there were also good couple good deaths. Wait, but, but case in point, Dan, and if, if people are going to disagree with us, how many times did the Whites stab Beric Dondarrion? Like a thousand. So a then thousand. all of a sudden, 
when we see, you know, Jamie, Podrick, and Brienne, like they're chest bumping each other back and forth on the wall for like five minutes. You know, it just all falls apart. So, so the, the, yeah, there's there's good deaths. I mean, you know, in, in terms of the fact of like how it contributed to the story and how they went out, Beric is a really great one. Definitely got the the Jesus pose several times as he was going through the hallways and holding off the lights so that Arya could get in uh, get into the room with the Hound and uh, meet up with uh, Melisande. So. I mean, I think that was a that was a really great scene too, Nick. And I know it was uh, you know something you were excited to see, given the fact yeah, that he's on we'll, your fantasy team too. Well, we'll get in the uh, we'll get into the Deadpool later, but that was a pointed scene because he had to save Arya so that she could you know go do the thing that that Melisandre had had uh, I guess you know prophesized um, before arriving out of nowhere uh, <laughs> at the beginning of the episode. So that was all really cool. And like right before that, Arya was doing her you know, kind of faceless man, you know, she had this custom new spear built, that thing was doing some work. And then Mike, she got her shit rocked at, for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. And well, no, first no, time no, no. Yeah, she got her shit rocked by her peer in the, uh, right. But not man. in a battle. This is her first battle. You yeah. have to remember that. Yeah. Like she's really good at one-on-one combat, but you could tell that the fear entered back into her for the first time in a while, which was really cool when she got into that library scene. Yeah. I, I love that you brought this up, Nick, because this transitions into something that I thought was really important through the entire episode. And, and that's Sansa saying the most heroic thing we can do is look truth in the face. And what we see throughout this entire episode, one, Jorah, right? Jorah's leading the charge out into the darkness. If you watch it a second time, as he charges out, he actually reins his horse back in. And he slows down and you watch countless riders go past him, you know, to be the tip of the spear. But then later on, you see him charge back forward along with Ghost. So he's he's facing his fears. Sam, he shows up. He doesn't have to be there, right? You know, you have Theon. He, he doesn't run away like he's done in every other situation, faces down the Night King. And then the Hound, you know, surrounded by flame and fire and everything else and despair, right? In his moment, he looks and he protects Arya. So I think what we're seeing is that all of these characters have, you know, as strong as they are, they've had moments that have just kind of rocked them to the core of what, who and what they are. And, and yet they're still stepping up. So I think well, that you even was saw really that. Cool. You even saw that just to hit back at Grey Worm. Easily the most emotion you've seen from Grey Worm ever in this last battle. Like he didn't yeah. know what was left from right. And he's, you know, probably the most skilled, you know, just straight up warrior on the, on the field anymore. Like he's unbelievable. So like, I I do agree. I think that was an amazing scene. I also love that the library scene cut the tension a little bit in, in Mm -hmm. kind of like a stealth mode way. So instead of just this roaring, you know, the dragons and all the, you know, clanking and all everything, it was this moment, Dan, that kind of felt like alien a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah. Where you're just kind of, you're, everything is heightened because she has to be so sneaky. And uh, yeah, I just thought that was a really great way to kind of set her up for Melisandre to kind of give her the the Sirio Pharrell pep talk that she needed mm-hmm. um, to, to go do, you know, eventually what becomes one of the most iconic scenes in Game of Thrones history. For sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, not today, Nick. Not today. So I think the other deaths we have to talk about, our girl, Leanna Mormont, awesome, awesome going out scene. Probably mm-hmm. more, be, way better than Sam in standing up for you know the people of Winterfell and the 
the the individuals of the north huge kind of moment of awesomeness there and then theon theon greyjoy with the you know uh, if Arya had not killed the night king this episode uh, potentially an mvp performance from him I know, Nick, he is not your favorite. No, no, he's not. Uh, I was glad to see his story end. Um, <laughs> even but, even with, like, the, the way that it ended, like, with Bran being like, you're a good man, like, the full validation <sighs> for his return, like, his redemption. So I've been talking, I talked to my buddy Matt about this and, and my sister, too. My, so my sister's a big, a bigger fan of Theon's story arc than I am. But I think, like, both of them admitted that, Basically, everything he's done the last season and a half has been a redemption point. Like, mm-hmm. saves, you know, saves Yara, redemption point. Save loses Sansa. Yara, back on redemption. Sees Sansa again. Sees, you know, sees, like, all of this stuff. It's like, how many fucking redemption points do you need, dude? Like, look, where you're going after this probably isn't going to be great for you because you've committed some atrocities in your time. Yeah. Uh, so, like... In the middle of everything, when the Night King shows up and he's looking at you square in the eye, your first thought is not like, you know, hey, tell Yara that I that I love her. It's like, the things I've done. And you're like, oh, for fuck's sake, will you stop? Like, I like I get it. I know it was an emotional moment. And I know that he had to sacrifice himself so that uh, eventually Arya can do the, uh, you know, the, the bravest thing that she's ever done. But, like, it just... You know, also, point, just a point about the whole brand kind of Godswood scene. Why in close quarters combat do you bring arrows? Yeah. Why do you, <laughs> like, why do you guard so them with weird. 10 dudes, right? Yeah, like, where's Ghost at? You know, it doesn't matter. But, um, but yeah, I just, I'm, I'm glad to see Theon gone. That, uh, that at least kills an annoying character off the board for me. <laughs> well, I'm, uh, I'm glad for you. That's, yeah, uh, thanks, that's man. wonderful. Um, yeah. uh, I think the other, uh, the, obviously, uh, last thing we probably need to talk about before we talk about the death of the Night King is uh, the crypts were not safe, Mike. No. They were no. not a safe place to be when the Night King came to town and decided he was going to raise everybody, uh, including the former maester of Winterfell, to, uh, <laughs> to haunt the people down there uh, in which uh, Tyrion and uh, Sansa paired together to uh, rekindle an old flame and to uh, learn that they, there might be a little affection there for one. That was, that was the moment of the episode for me, honestly, like that, that scene, Mike, where, where Tyrion kind of kissed her hand and just was like, well, this yeah. is it. <laughs> like you just, it was such a great breakaway from everything else that was happening and all the crazy shit down there that, that you're like, Oh yeah. I remember this show actually has humans in it. That's nice. Yeah, and it has that really cool moment because you're trying to figure out, like, are they Romeo and Juliet in it right now? Are they about to, you know, stick their knives in their own throats, or are they gonna just charge out and try and protect the people? I thought that I thought that was really cool. But once again, you're facing an army of the dead with a dude who can raise the dead. Why not go hide out in the crypts? And I guess the question that I have is, was a headless uh, Ned Stark in the crypts with them? Did his body ever get returned? Like. I wish we could have seen a little bit of like which of the Starks were uh, coming back and yeah, some like I w- I wanted Liana to come back because I felt like if there was ever proof that her and Rhaegar were married, it would be in her crypt. Oh uh, yeah, and yeah. and so I wanted that thing to break open personally, Dan, because I felt like not only would that just be like kind of the the ghost of Christmas past uh, and the big thing that people would kind of find out and kind of be a premonition for, for all the reveal stuff. But Mm -hmm. 
it, you know, if there's a harp down there, then we need to see that shit ASAP. Yeah. Yeah, it, w- it would definitely help with the lack of DNA testing that uh, John Snow was able <laughs> to provide. Might have been a really nice uh, way of convincing um, Daenerys that he does have uh, the Targaryen heritage running through his uh, his veins. And can I, anyway, what, what, can what? I jump on that? I just want to say, Nick, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there. I also thought there was a really awesome moment in which when John is trying to run down the Night King, right? And we all know that the, the popular rumor is that he's uh, Rhaegar Targaryen, his, his father, right? You almost kind of had that weird, like, is this Luke and Vader kind of a moment? Um, and then... You know, it, it's just really an interesting, like, like you said, where we're we going to find anything else about John. So yeah, the, ni- kudos the Night King has, the Night King has looked him down now on like five different times and mm-hmm. never taken a, an action towards him. Right. So, you know, it's, it's weird, right? Because at hard home, he looked at him dead in the face and just did his hand wavy thing. And then all these dead people came back at the, at the battle of bad plan north of the wall, you know, you had, you know, the same kind of thing when he was on the dragon, he actually grabbed his spear. Like he was going to try and get John and then just never did because, mm-hmm. you know, of course John had done all the hard work and Danny just had to come right. by and just bump him. And then, you know, when they, when he was chasing him down, I actually thought that was like an underrated moment in the show that he was like, it looked like John was like ready to die at that point. Like he was just trying to get the one thing done because he finally had him isolated. And, and of course then the whole magic thing, you're just like, Oh, come on. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like, the, the night King is never isolated when there's dead bodies around that have not yeah, been yeah. turned to whites. So anyway, the final moment of the episode or the most important one, potentially when Arya Stark does the business MVP. with the night drop. And gets him right in the same spot where the Night King was created with dragon glass by the children of the forest. She takes him out and blows away the whole army with one strike. And just uh, Nick, walk me through your moment. You're feeling there. What were you feeling? I so j- imagine me. You know, like I, I was watching this with a few buddies, and we're all we're all grown men at this point, and all of us jumped out of uh, off the couch. Because we were just pumped. I mean, it was it was such a cool moment, and it was such a kind of a misdirection moment from the from the show writers. And if you watch the the after the episode stuff, like they said that this was their plan for about three years. That's how you know George had let them know kind of who who ends up doing it. But I thought the cinematography, the way it was shot, the slow mo, the music, Bran just sitting there, I guess, <laughs> um, and and just. You know, Bran had basically seen all. What we can infer is Bran had kind of seen this thing play out already, and knew that she was uh, she was going to be there. And and so when she got hit and then did the knife flip thing, which we've seen her do against Bran of Tarth when they were sparring, Mike. I mean, it was just such a powerful way. You know, against all odds, hail mary, fourth quarter, yep. no time on the clock. Yeah, because because it wasn't that she just did the flip immediately, and and let's point out too, you know, Bran was the one who gave her the cat's paw dagger. Yeah. So, you know, but but he's just squeezing there, choking the life out of her, and she does the flip. Dude, I went nuts. Like, kind of. Uh, I, there's been few celebrations in my life. Yeah, uh, you know, to, I, arms in the air. I'm like yelling. I was also screaming "F you, Dan!" Uh, I was so so happy to, to see her just wreck your fantasy team. So it was, you know, twice as good of a moment. So I was I was 
elated. Yeah, it, it was great. It was great to see. I think if you did not jump up and down or fist pump or whatever you want to do to show celebration and excitement, we now have three episodes remaining where we get to focus on, I think, what's some of the best of the story, which is the political intrigue, the battle between humans for the possession of the throne, and puts Cersei Lannister up against the remaining humans, essentially, yeah. for control of the Seven Kingdoms. And uh, I think it's putting us on the right path here, Nick, to maybe uh, talk about our fantasy teams. Yeah, I, w- I will quickly say, for, for those who... You know, I have a different opinion on this than than a lot of people do. The Night King and the Army of the Dead were kind of nameless, faceless, dialogue uh, um, less people, right? They we don't really know what their motives were, and that could just be a storytelling thing that maybe the the showrunners didn't tell the story the way it should have been told. But what what this really comes down to for me is that the choices that all of the main characters have made along the way actually still mean something, you know, to kill him off now, I thought was, was great timing because we only have three episodes left. And it means that the, the humans get a face off against what might be a bigger threat, which is the, the wills and whims of a, of a mad person instead of just this kind of supernatural being that has, yeah. All these dead people. And and I think that, Mike, the agency now that they have to make decisions about, you know, how they want to get the throne and, and what they would do with it after maybe is impacted by them beating this, you know, almost unbeatable force. Well, I think it brings up two really good points. One, one it's all about human nature, right? Like it's the idea in which, you know, the, the, the humanity couldn't even unite to fight darkness and death itself. And, and they've defeated it, and now we're looking at them potentially, you know, marching on King's Landing. And to me, my question is, after you survived the army of the dead, the Night King then raising half of your friends who had already died, like, there is not a person in that world that I think gives a shit about Daenerys being on a throne. I would just be like, fuck you, I'm out, peace, I'm never fighting again. Like, there's just, why would you continue that war? Like I, I just, the motivation I think is going to be very difficult for me because at that point you're kind of at a stalemate and it just, I don't know, man. And then overall, my other two senses, this might be a moment where, uh, I don't know if you guys remember 2010 world cup, North Korea plays Brazil <laughs> to draw this, uh, zero, zero at the half. And then they lose, but they just only showed the first half and pretended that they beat Brazil. I might just pretend that the rest of season eight doesn't happen and just kind of pretend that everybody was happy and they they went on with the rest of their lives. So, um, yeah, Dan, I'm passing to you, but I, I would love to know your take. Well, I think what we should really do, because I think it's time, we put it off long enough, and we got to give Mike his due. Oh, yeah. Mike is currently winning in the London's Blue Podcast Fantasy League. Currently on 1,115 points, followed not so closely by myself in second place at 780 points. And now, after uh, two episodes, uh, or you know, now spending the last two episodes in the bottom, Nick Verlaney, 600 points. Look, look, I'm not going to lie to you. It hurts to mm-hmm. be last. Um, however, 
I I will point out. We'll get into each you know kind of team's performance and stuff like that. But um, Mike obviously had a huge advantage uh, with with Barrick and with Arya. You know, kind of doing some major damage in this in this fight. So Mike, I will pass the mic uh, to you to gloat yeah. about. Uh, some some really early wins in this season. For and we're going to limit that gloating to 45 yeah. seconds. So yeah. please get uh, let's your punches just say in in once this thing form. What, what Nick's not acknowledging is that in one episode, I scored 95 points more than his entire team over three episodes. I apologize <laughs> that Drake has been wearing a LeBron of the Blackwater jersey, but <laughs> you're getting smoked. And, um, and it's just beginning, you know. So, yeah. And Dan, man, you're the big loser. You lost the most people uh, out of your team. And uh, what are you gonna do without a dragon and the Night King? You're you're just toast, bro. Yeah, I know it's tough. It's uh, it's not looking good. And, you know, when you lose the Night King and Viserion and both Mormons in one episode, you're uh, you're not looking like you're gonna be in for the long haul. But uh, uh, and and look, I have I I've only lost a handful of of kind of smaller players. So like. My my Melisandre pickup ended up working out really nicely for me. Um, she ended up doing some shit finally, which was helpful because we hadn't seen her in the first two episodes. So if you go on that logic, we're you know we're we're doing okay. I still have Jon Snow, Rhaegal, who mm-hmm. is confirmed in the next episode to still be alive. That was kind of the confusing dragon battle thing that I, w- I wasn't sure if he was still alive. Uh, Bran Stark apparently only has eighty points to this. Pro- I'm just like, what the fuck is the scoring? Uh, Sansa still has a role to play. The Hound clearly still has a role to play. Ghost is still alive. Ghost I is think still we're a ghost. All hap- yep, we're, we're, we're all still points. happy about that. Zero points apparently, even though he charged into the. What? How does he have zero points? Uh, and then you know I still have some you know kind of smaller players. Uh, my boy Kono is gone. Twice. Gone and buried. Twice. Gone. <laughs> Ned Umber gone. I think Alice Karstark is gone too because she was part uh, of the they resistance. Didn't show, they didn't show her dying. I mean, but she's all. She was also in the crypts. I think. No, she was. A, she was in the Theon resistance. Was, was she? she in the Theon resistance? Yeah, they show her at the beginning of the episode pushing the. She was pushing the wheelchair or something. Hmm. I, I didn't so, see anyway. her So yeah, Look, so I, I still I, have a lot of power players here. Boys. Again, I'm, I'm also. I'm I know Mike is highlighting the players that I don't have. I still have Daenerys. I still have Jamie Lannister. I still have Euron Greyjoy, who is going to get some major sex points with Cersei. Still, you know that's going to happen. Gendry, long Shared outside sex shot. Points, though. <laughs> Gendry has an outside shot to sit on the throne. Yeah. Like that is not out of the realm of possibility. And, and Davos Seaworth, the Onion Knight. Like if you don't have, if you don't have an Onion Knight on your team, what are you doing? Yeah, but you know that the throne means nothing because how much is the throne in this? Two hundred points. That is correct. Yes. Yeah. So Nick's gonna need to sit three people on the throne to beat me. <laughs> so you know, I, I will say let's let's talk real quick, real quick. So Dan loses the number eleven overall pick with the Night King, number five overall pick with Vizirian, twentieth uh, overall with Jorah, and thirty eighth overall with Lyanna. I lose my number nineteen pick with Lord Beric Dondarrion. Uh, 30th overall with Theon, Lord. 36th with Edison. But let's talk about Theon. Put up more points than both the Night King and Viserion. So huge showing from him. And Nick playing it well. Number 22 overall with Melisandre. Number 40, Ned Umber. And number 45, Kono. So Nick's team all mostly in King's Landing. I think I, feel I like, think it's going to come like down to you and points. me. I feel like yeah. you took a lot of points from Mel Kuyper in the NFL draft last week. <laughs> like the way you <laughs> I, represented that. I didn't even watch it, so yeah. 
the yeah i i think i think i'm while i what i lack in points right now i think i I still have a lot of potential uh on the board i think the 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 weird thing that's happened this episode or in this season so far and you know dan unfortunately for both of us is that Danny and John have been kind of relegated. You know, we, we thought that they were going to be the stars of the of the show this season. And it's really been some lesser characters who have taken kind of front and center stage. So your Arya's, your Sansa's, your you know, Tyrion's still taking L's, but he's still cracking jokes. You know, Davos has had some major screen time. Like John and Danny, who are supposed to be the heroes, haven't really had a chance to do a hell of a lot yet. And I think that's probably coming to a head as they go to King's Landing to kind of confront uh, Cersei and, and all of that. So I think there's, you know, still a little bit of time to, to make up, but yeah, right now the, the fantasy is not going well for me. My, my team, Le- LeBron of the Blackwater needs to, uh, to pick it up in a big way. They, they need to go uh, back to their, uh, their Cleveland days oh, versus boy. their, uh, their LA days. You know? Yeah, this is an L.A. team, uh, warm weather team. So we're heading back south, which is nice. Um, but yeah, I need I need Sansa and I need the Hound and I you know I need some I need Ghost to do something big here. He's he's putting up zeros across the board. Um, yeah, love that he's still alive. Uh, that would you know, but I need some points. So all right, Nick. So we're gonna shut you up real quick though because yep. we're getting close to time. And we want to send people on their way with some final feelings, projections, thoughts. Now that we've had a chance to reassess after the first three episodes, what's going to happen? What are you looking forward to most? And is there anything that you think has changed about what the finale is going to bring our way, Nick, now that we've made it halfway through? Yeah, look, uh, so there are three episodes left. They're all 80 minutes apiece. So it's a good amount of time, screen time to, to start wrapping some stuff up. I mean... Obviously, now their big challenge is, uh, you know, taking King's Landing. And, you know, luckily for uh, Mike and I, we still have two dragons on the board. So that, that won't be as hard um, necessarily as, um, as, as it would have been otherwise. But uh, I think what I want to see, you know, just in my, you know, my hopes and dreams is that I, I think especially in episode four, now that this huge battle's over and they're they're all kind of together, you know, most of the characters are still together. We're kind of mourning the the ones we lost. There needs to be a lot of talking between our, our main characters. So examples. Uh John, hey, not only did I die and come back to life, which only one other person knows about, uh, then that's Davos of all people. Uh so not only did that happen. Um, but I'm also a Targaryen, so can we all have a quick chat about how that's going to impact some storylines? Uh, how about freaking Arya? Yes, I killed the Night King because I was trained by the Faceless Men in the House of Black and White for a number of whatever years, and I am a, I'm a skilled assassin, so I'm probably a good member of the squad to take the King's Landing. Uh, Bran, tell us what the Three-Eyed Raven is. It's killing me. You have to be more than just a stoned out weirdo, you know? So like there's, there's all these tension points yeah. around now, Mike, that I hope that they, they take episode four, have another kind of reunion of everyone, you know, celebrating the victory. But I think they all need to really, that core council needs to get together and, and just have a, a, a good feel session. I'm looking forward. There's a couple really interesting things to me. One is anybody actually going to want to continue to fight this war? Uh, two, 
Um, let's talk about this army. So we have the Dothraki, the Unsullied, the Wildlings, and the Northerners slash Knights of the Vale, and the Ironborn, right? Ironborn, gone. Dothraki's, with the exception of like probably 20 people, gone. Unsullied, heavy casualties, at least 50%, right? Wildlings, crushed too. Northerners, mm, you know, still probably heavy, heavy casualties. So my guess right now is that we're looking at a casualty rate of about 70% of, of Danny's army. So, you know, they have five ships, two dragons, ones that's really been beat up. So, you know, overall, we're talking about a loss of a complete cavalry, which leaves you open to a lot of attacks. You lose your best trained uh, fighters, the Unsullied, who've, who've successfully, uh, you know, attacked cities and done sieges. So like there needs to be some real explanation as to how this war even continues. Uh, well, they need to they need to go recruit some folks, yeah. right? So that was one of the things, Dan, that I was going to bring up, which is like, are the Dornish still on the board? Like, where can they go find friends now that they've they've won the Great War? Can we do a draft of that of who's left? <laughs> oh gosh, no, no more drafting. Uh, clearly, we found out that Nick and I are terrible at it, and we just need to move on from life. Um, that has not been proven beyond a reasonable doubt. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, show us the uh, the ancestry dot com test to prove that it's uh, within your gene set and your abilities, and we'll move forward. Um, I think the the things I would like to see in these last couple episodes is some great action, which we have always gotten delivered upon in the Game of Thrones series. I think a lot of closure to the storylines, whether it's through the termination of that character's existence, because this is the Game of Thrones universe and your favorite characters end up dying. Um, and you, know, I, I'd like to see a few happy endings, right? Like the the teasing of the Tyrion Sansa thing that could be great, but you know, you know, Bronn is coming to potentially shut down both Jamie and Tyrion, yeah, no. so that's yep. a concern. No. You know, you have what's going to happen with, with Danny and John. Who would be the better ruler? Like, I think, you know, if they were able to get to a point where maybe neither of them are the right person to sit on the Iron Throne now, and maybe it's not Cersei either, and how does humanity decide and become a little bit more progressive potentially than, uh, you know, the what has re- resulted in the deaths and yeah, countless man. deaths of thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Um, Let's you know, break you, that wheel, right? Why are we still exactly. having monarchy? Come on. Um, but yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm interested. And I think this is a, a big storyline that I'm looking at, which is the Tyrion comeback story. Now I think the Tyrion redemption tour is officially on. You saw a little bit of spark back in his eyes when he was in the crypts. And he's like, if I'm up there, maybe I can see things that other people can't. And he's famously done that before the battle of Blackwater Bay and some other uh, key moments throughout mm-hmm. the show's history. So if anyone knows where Cersei is most vulnerable uh, within, um, within King's landing, it, you know, it's going to be Tyrion. Tyrion's going to play a major role there. Um, I also, Mike, am looking for John now to loosen the fuck up. You know, he's he's now won the war that he's been fearing forever, right? He this is the one thing that's been on his ma- his mind since he was a member of the Night's Watch and he first saw White Walkers and and all that other stuff. And now the problem probably becomes, you know, it's it's more complicated because he has to deal with his family uh, lineage, but. 
the actual problem of facing humans must seem relieving a little bit by comparison. Yeah, you know, it's it's really tough. I, I was thinking about this. You know, we kind of got a bit of our happy ending, right? You know, we, we had episode two, everyone sitting around the fire, just about everyone's still alive. And to me, I kind of had this dreaded oh shit moment of like, man, Cersei's going to kill all the people that I like. And so that's kind of haunting me. I, I kind of want to hear a couple bold predictions from you guys. One of my, Here's my question. So which one of the Lannister brothers dies? Does Jamie die to protect Tyrion or does Tyrion take one to protect his big brother? I I don't right now. Like if you think if Jamie didn't if Jamie didn't die in this last episode, I I don't know if he can die. Like why didn't he, he was he up put against a it. spike on his hand? Like why didn't he have a dragon yeah. glass spike? Oh man, that's good. Well, what if it got stuck? It would just take a lot of time to get it out of somebody's. Better leg, than you know. uh, a happy Gilmore wooden, you know, hands, right? No, uh, I think Tyrion. I think Tyrion still. Again, I, I have big. I have big hopes for him because they've they've done a, a poor job. I think of, of bringing him back into like the smart person fold, and I and I hope. Hope that he does that. Jamie's the more likely to die of the two, but you know, right now, I mean, I think they both have. You know, this wasn't their war, right? This this war against the Night King was not their war. The the next couple episodes are where they're going to get a shine because they should know the enemy the best. And without Jorah there to Dan to to help Danny along, you know, Tyrion's really going to have to step up oh, and time. and and prove that he can do what you know he hasn't proven so far which is kill his sister and that's going to be a big deal for him yeah it's going to be huge it's going to be massive and there is so much twist and turn left in these 80 plus minute episodes for the remainder of the season it feels crazy to think that so much has changed and happened in this series in the eight seasons and many many more years that we've been watching it and witnessing it and i think we are all just extremely excited to see where it ends but sad that that time is coming so very soon but we hope to hear what you guys are thinking we hope to hear what who who you think should be on the iron throne who you think is going to make it to the end is, is Jamie or Tyrion or neither going to end up happy at the end of this season slash series let us know hit us up on twitter instagram facebook social media send us a raven you know what to do but until then next time Chelsea fans Westeros, Windwalkers, keep the blue flags flying high.